You're listening to the Unbottled Podcast, episode three, we're going to be talking about insecurities. Let's get into it. What's up, guys? What's up? We are on all streaming platforms now. That is uh, that is now happening. Uh, we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, anywhere you like get your podcast listening in. Uh, fellas, did I leave anyone leave any podcasts out that y'all think on the top of your head? I could name a bunch of stuff that I've never heard of, but apparently <laughs> is relatively popular with podcasters. Yeah. RV something. There's Overcast, well, Pocket Cast, Stitcher. We're on, we're on everything. We're on everything. So uh, wherever you get your podcast, get it in. Uh, pop the top with us. This, this episode, we're talking about insecurity, so it's going to be a good one. Uh, introducing ourselves, right? We're going through uh, the introductions. So my name is Jordan. I'm Danny. I'm Emmanuel, a.k.a. E. And a special announcement for y'all. I was on as a host last episode. I have since been fired. Just kidding. <laughs> I fired myself. I'll now be stepping back oh as a my God. co-producer and a collaborator, frequent collaborator with my guys. But with that being said, Demarcus, who actually rang the doorbell in the middle of our first episode. There he is. He'll be the new host. So go ahead and introduce yourself once again, Demarcus. What's up, everybody? This is Demarcus Grant, a.k.a. Grant These Hands, a.k.a. I'll Stop. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, the, the topic we're talking about, again, uh, is insecurities. So, uh, which which one of you guys want to pop top first? Grab the bottles, because I'm going to pour out. Mm. <laughs> okay, okay, pour okay. out, bro. And I mean water bottles. It's a PG-13 show. Um, insecurities, uh, definitely, along with shame, which we already spoke about, guilt, Things of that nature where you just don't feel certain of yourself. Um, you don't feel certain about yourself. You don't feel sure of yourself or things that I think about a lot because I struggle a lot with insecurities. Uh, maybe we'll bring it up in later episodes. Think a lot about the Enneagram personality type. I'm an Enneagram four, which the root of that is feeling shame and insecure and feeling like you're not enough. So one thing I've noticed about insecurities is that since my childhood, pretty much, I've always been aware um, that something was wrong with me. And I would say that that alone is a theme in itself, that it's insecurities, at least for me, seem to be something that um, can kind of get nurtured into you. You get picked up, you pick up uh, on it early in your environment and you grow it, with it into an adulthood and you're not even aware of it. Um, an exam a couple of quick examples for me, just on the quote unquote, something is wrong with me. I think I had my first er ever surgery when I was a little kid, my tongue didn't develop properly. Mm. Uh, so I had to have the surgery where you have to get the little kind of lisp cut from underneath your tongue. Um, that's one of my early childhood memories. And since then, I've had a ton of surgeries that require going under the knife for different things. So that's been a source mainly as far as today, though, today's discussion. I think I would also touch on just uh, parenting styles, right? Yeah. Uh, and your family and how your family speaks to you and people around you as a child, how they speak to you, whether it builds you up or it um, it breaks you down, honestly, right? Mm. And just when you settle on the word insecurity itself, us being creatives, uh, Danny and I being poets, spoken words, stuff like that. Yeah. If family is supposed to be 
your secure nucleus where you feel most at home, most loved and protected, it would seem that the other side of the coin is easily that family is also probably the easiest place where you could actually feel insecure, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. something you probably pick up pretty quickly as a, as a child in the natural world is when I leave home, that's when I'm experiencing all these different things that are unexpected that I'm not sure of. So if you encounter a bully in the outside world, yes, that can, of course, speak to your insecurities, trigger your insecurities and, and give you issues that you deal with later in life in the outside world. But what happens when you come home and things aren't necessarily uh, healthy, at least as far as communication style, at least as far as just someone telling you, I love you, you're good, you're doing good enough, mm-hmm. you know, things of mm-hmm. that nature, you know. I'll do my best not to get too personal. I'll try to tell some lighter stories. And, and I want to give a pause because I'm sure somebody in my family is going to listen to this and be like, what? Why is he representing this? <laughs> <laughs> like, like we beat him. Like, that. I did not come from, thank God, I did not come from an abusive childhood, child, uh, childhood home. Yeah. I did not come from a uh, verbally or physically um, abusive environment. I came from a very loving and I have a very loving family. But I would say instability that maybe I experienced that a lot of other people didn't experience has to do with moving from different parts of the country and things of that nature, mm-hmm. always having cousins and older siblings and stuff. So I was always the last born and I was always a soft spoken one. So with that, it's like I just took in things, took in th- things, took in things. And I love, never learned to stand up for myself, yeah. essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father uh, was very, very domineering. My mom is very loving, but very um Critical as well, too, mm. you know, and I, I you know, I'll, I'll save the stories for a little bit later in the pod just to get conversation flowing. But I could think of certain things where, for example, I bought home, bought home a report card where I had got all A's. My father told me we we're going to go celebrate um, the report card later when the family gets home. It was a Friday. I was excited. And then probably not even five minutes later, he yelled at me to come back in the room to tell me, like, hey, why do you think you get rewarded for doing what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to get good grades, you know, like almost mm-hmm. like I was in trouble for doing good, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So that set up a thing where it's just like, wow, okay, even my good is not good enough, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that's that's just an example. Um, but yeah, I want to uh, keep it flowing and, and get you guys feedback and your own input. I was going to say, I mean, what you were talking about earlier, like, you know, you didn't come from a family environment that was what we envisioned to be like the right. worst of the worst. Right. But um, that's kind of been a, a theme I've struggled with too is like um, getting to a point where I'm okay with recognizing that there are a lot of blessings that I have to be grateful for mm. in my life in terms of where I came from and how my parents treated me and how my, uh, you know, communities around me treated me. I had a lot of good stuff. Yeah. But humans are still imperfect and there's always going to be stuff that seeps through and leaves lasting marks, you know, and mm-hmm. I have to be um, okay with the both and world, mm-hmm. you know, is how my therapist puts it. Like there, there's lots to be grateful for, but not to the expense of neglecting the brokenness that, that, that did exist that yeah. I have to deal with, you know, mm-hmm. and we talked about generational issues being inherited last episode you know and that's a very you know real thing you know um that was my thought just kind of getting to a place and i think shame has a lot to do with it you know Mm. you've mentioned shamed already we talked about shame last episode and i when i talk later about some of the stuff that um i think about when it comes to insecurities shame is the uh the conception of Mm -hmm. 
of those insecurities. It's, it's the, the parent, you know, the birthing point for a lot of that stuff that we deal with. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think a word that we hit on last week was naked where you yeah. step out into the world and you always feel like you're exposed, exposed. like you're almost like you're at battle with no yeah. shield, you know? Uh, but again, it, it happens in the mind first before it literally it comes happening. out in, in, in actual. Yeah. No, definitely. I understand that for sure. Yeah. Like going on to the like report card thing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's like, for me at least, oftentimes like I would, um, in a sense, like, when I would show my report card to my parents or, like, put that on, I would almost feel insecure if I, like, didn't get, like, a high A or if, like, it was, like, an 86. I'd be like, I should have, like, it should have been an A because I feel like if it's not, then I feel I didn't hold up my end of the bargain of being the great student I'm supposed to be in their eyes, you know? Um, and so I was always, like, I was the one that was hiding my report card. So when report cards came around, like, mm. my mom would be like, hey, where's your report card at? I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. She's like, didn't it come what, out today? And I'm card? like, yeah, there was one time. Still make those? There, there, there was one time, low key, uh, I was like really insecure. Well, not insecure, but I was also scared. Uh, I got a really bad grade on my report card. And I like threw, I threw it in the sewer. Cause mm. I was like, it was like, I didn't want them to see it. Oh, wow. And like, this is how God works. We were playing football that same day, and our football went down the sewer. So <laughs> I couldn't get it, so I had my dad get it. And oh, and, man. no <laughs> way! And it would just happen to be the day that it doesn't rain, right? So my report card is sitting there, just pristine, clean on the. <laughs> oh my god! In the sewer ground, and my dad goes down there, and he like grabs our football, and then like throws it to my friends, and looks at me and goes, "Come inside now!" <laughs> and I was like, "Tight." Uh, oh my god but yeah just just the the insecurity of failing kind of like i never i never wanted to show my parents that like i didn't do enough because my parents will always look at me and be like like why aren't you like doing that like why are you failing like you're not stupid you're not dumb you're not like any of these things like Mm -hmm. this is just the lack of your effort you know Mm -hmm. um and so for me that was that was the the main piece of that um but yeah and it's crazy that you brought up the, the parenting um i guess what parenting roles or parenting upbringings because um you know most parents they want everybody wants to parent the same but it's totally different cuz i grew up with you get whooped with anything in sight you know and um, my mom was a single single parent so i always and this is probably a totally different uh podcast but i always kind of wonder like what goes on what was going on in her mind as like a single mom and like how because there was two boys and a and a girl so it's like not really even as far as like there was two girls two boys to like even out the thing so but i've always wondered like you know hey mom like how do you perceive that but I guess her way was you get a whooping, um, man, because we got whoopings, you know, staying out late if the street light wasn't, street light was on. Yeah, street light come yeah, on at 705, yeah. you better be, be inside. at that joint at 7 o'clock, <laughs> boy. And so, and, and, you know, looking back, you know, 
a lot of people think, man, that was abusive, that was abusive. But man, like, there was a lot of times where I just needed, like, a, a whooping or uh, something of, of that um, content because for me, talking wasn't <laughs> wasn't going to work. You know, I needed something to be like, okay, well, match that action with this action. Like, of course, correct. We're not, yeah, we're not going to do that again because mm. this is the consequence. Um, and there's been times where I just like ran away just because I didn't want to get whooping. But <laughs> that's a whole other thing. I, I know what you mean. I never threw my report card down the sewer after that. Yeah. <laughs> after that spanking, bro. Ever yeah. again. I, I was like, here you go. Um, so, I feel you yeah, it's definitely, it's crazy. But I mean, I mean, even like the church thing, I'm just circling it back to kind of land the plane. But, um, you know, we all just think, okay, this is the right way to do it. But man, my mom, I always tell people, I'm a drug baby. My mom drug us to church. She made us go to church. <laughs> and so like a lot of people wouldn't think that parenting is great because, oh, you're forcing your kid to do something. But man, that really just like drove me because when I left the, the nest, I still went to church and I still leaned on that even though I was forced to. Um, so, I mean, I don't know, kids are, ki kids are, uh, Definitely adaptable, but I mean, it's nowadays it's just different. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be a parent mm. because it's just so much pushed as a parent that you just like, how do I do this? But, um, and I guess that's where it comes into insecurities with even a parent yeah. of like how to do this or how to do that. What's the right formula for the baby or, you know, and that's just a whole downward spiral of things. But, you know, Overall, I'm glad my mom whooped me because, you know, I think it helped. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because we're, our conversation up to this point seems to be centered around how our insecurities came from um, the way that our parents treated us or the, possibly the ways that our parents treated us in ignorance or not knowing what the best solution was or just dealing with their own crap, you know, that they mm -hmm. passed down, you know. And I wonder, like, there's an analytical part of my brain that wonders, like, because I'm listening to the conversation and I don't default to, to remembering mm. when and where in my life my parents might have failed in being, you know, the best kind of parents. Mm. What I normally do, and I wonder if this is a facet of my shame, but again, thinking about me first, you know, where, where did I go off and... A lot of my current insecurities seem to be bred from comparison with past self. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that has to mm -hmm. do with my history with chronic illness, you know, because when I first got sick with Lyme and I started dealing with a bunch of symptoms I'd never struggled with before that were debilitating me, that were limiting what I was capable of doing day to day, yeah. I struggled a lot with feeling like I was not producing what I was able to produce before. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. seeing, okay, I, I already have the model. Like I can look at my past and right. I can see what I'm capable of. Right. right. And not holding in reality the truth about my new circumstances. Mm. You know, I struggled with that. I mm. still do. It's so yeah. funny because I find myself, even after being sick for seven, eight years, however long it's been, like I still have moments where I don't really weigh the reality properly because yeah. it's like, you know, 
it's, I had a, a, new, a new friend. I was having a conversation yesterday and I told him what I tell a lot of people. Whereas these days I'm kind of like at 60 to 80% of what I call like full capacity. Okay. Thanny, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. Um, and I don't, I, I only think about that when I talk about my Lyme disease with someone else. I never think about it day to day when yeah. I'm, you know, processing what I've been able to do today. And cause I always get to the end of Unfortunately, I always get to the end of each day and I always, I often think, I wonder how much time I wasted today or how right. much I didn't do that I could have done. You're yeah. more critical on yourself. Yeah, I'm so yeah. critical. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. So I, I can relate to that a little bit when I think mainly um, reminiscent on like uh, sports and like glory days, what they call glory days in high school, mm-hmm. right? Uh, anybody who plays golden sports. Age. The golden yeah, age. Yeah, the yeah, golden age, yeah, when you think days. about, oh man, you know, when I was in high school, I could run this fast. I could go in, I could run dunk four a ball. Four or five when I was in high school. Yeah, <laughs> you could run this fast, you could dunk a ball, you could this and that. And it's crazy, I'll say this for another episode, but literally my reoccurring dream that I've had with our counselor Gary was the one about my football career in high school. Yeah. And he expressed how it's something I never grieved with and all that. But anyways... I want to get back to what you said, Thani. I want to um, kind of diagnose that philosophically. Go for it. <laughs> uh, your situation, Thani, is, is more unique than most people. So I don't know if this would be completely accurate for you, but I think I could hit it on the nail to what's happening with most people when they reminisce on, when I was younger, I was prettier, more this, more that. How come, you know, because mm-hmm. everybody does that. Everybody mm-hmm. compares themselves to mm-hmm. a younger self. Um. As life goes on, you pick up more baggage, right? And if you don't learn how to let things go and transition into new seasons of life, well, and just accept that, yes, you are going to get older, you are going to get slower, you're going to get this and that, kind of those surface level things. If you don't already accept those things, um, you're going to keep fighting against those things. And then what's weird is in the present time, you won't actually be living life because you'll be dwelling on the past, right? Yeah. I think when we look at our past selves, it's easy to say, oh, it was the football ability or it was the talent and my work ethic and how come it can't be like that anymore? And again, thing, like I said, I know your situation is a little, little unique to where it doesn't completely fit in this box. But when we look at that, I would actually challenge us to say, rather than looking at the literal surface level athletic ability, gifting, discipline, rather than looking at the surface level of that younger person who was doing all these amazing things, the main thing we should remember is that younger person probably wasn't dwelling on these types of things. No. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Like they were in the in the they were in the moment. In the moment. Yeah. They're enjoying the moment yeah. of, of life. Yeah. And it almost seems a natural process where let's say if you because uh if you look at a baby, if you look at like a two, three, four year old, all they want to do, a toddler wants to do is play. Rex. Right. And what do they cry about? Something that's missing right in the present moment. Give me food, give me the ball, you know, whatever, give me the toy. Right. Mm-hmm. If that thing gets fixed, they're back to playing, right? It's only when you get older and like more burdens and expectations and pressure comes on you that you start to build up this almost like backlog of weight to say whatever I'm doing in the present moment, not only is for the present moment, but it's to, you know, save up money for the future. It's to meet such and such expectation when I get to college and get Mm -hmm. the career. It's to... Fighting to even prove that, oh, I'm better, I'm still as good as my younger self. All that yeah. mental backlog doesn't exist when you think about the younger version of yourself. Not to say the younger version of yourself had it easier, right? And maybe the younger version of yourself did, but it's, I think it's more so, 
how did the younger you just respond to day-to-day situations? And I think it's mostly that that younger person was just focused on the present moment, you know? And uh, it's a, it's a paradox because now that you have lived, you know, when you're in your twenties and your thirties, now that you have lived 30 something years, 20 something years, it's not like you can suddenly forget your past, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, being in the present moment is definitely being able to be in the present moment, I think is definitely one of the benchmarks of if you are actually living life in a happy and fulfilling way. Yeah. Forgot who said it. This is a quote from Mm. some guy. There's no anxiety in the present. Mm. It only exists in the past or the future. Yeah. We're either looking back on distressing things that happened to us and fearing about what could come next, you know, but missing the moment. There's all sorts of emotions in the moment, but anxiety is not one of them that it can't exist in in the present, you know? Yeah. Because it goes with that saying, like, something about, like, if depression mainly has to do with the past, anxiety is depression for tomorrow. For tomorrow, yeah. You know? Yeah. That younger you wasn't depressed about who you would be when you were 20-something, 30-something. No. Right. You know? Worried about uh, how many, uh, what barrels you can get on Donkey Kong or... (laughs) yeah being an adult is this is one of the challenges that we have growing up is because uh, i mean i think that what you said earlier that um the younger we are the less we've been through and the less baggage we have to carry mm-hmm. and we're picking up stuff every All day that we're on this planet you know picking yeah. up new stuff you know yeah and uh that requires us to to develop tools of like healthy grieving and healthy you know mm-hmm. expression of other emotions to be able to use the word I think let go yeah or, let go. or move mm-hmm. on is another like yeah. uh, classic you know adage yeah and uh, you know there's a part of me that hates those because it's not it makes it sound like it's a snap of the fingers exactly. kind of thing Turns, like yeah. just move on just let go yeah. you know That's but not it's not easy. it's about developing tools that facilitate that happening. It's kind of like, I use this metaphor. Again, I'm borrowing it from our mutual friend therapist, Gary, Mm -hmm. who talks about like emotionally, there's a lot of parallels with wounds and scars that, um, to our physical body, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like when you get, when you get sliced on an arm, Mm -hmm. for instance, like you are not capable or responsible of stitching back the sinews and the muscle and the skin together right Right. like you can't i can't think that into existence you know there's there's mechanisms built into our body to do that but there is a responsibility i hold to clean the wound and dress it properly to facilitate healthy and quick you know healing Mm-hmm. And the same exists for our heart as we're dealing with distressing emotions and baggage that we pick up throughout life. Like, and that ties in again with the thing I brought up last time was like me struggling with this the proper responsibility placement mm-hmm. and realizing that I am not responsible for moving on, like right. snapping my fingers and saying, I've let go, you know, I'm doing that right now. Right. But I am capable of taking steps to create an environment where that happens quicker and you know effectively it's good 
then other, you know, other things I could do that might slow the process down or muck it up or, you know, introduce infection or whatever, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but That's, it's a challenge. You know? It is a challenge. Because we don't have to do that when we're kids. That's something you have to do only as we start, you know, picking up new stuff. Yeah. And I think, like you said, our, our parents sort of take that, the brunt of that weight for us as a kid to keep us in that sort of adolescent mindset. And so a lot of, like I said, a lot of things that we're sort of picking up on the way, I think is also due to the fact that they picked up that weight for us to try to steer us in the right direction. Um, and so then now that as we're getting older, we're sort of understanding um, their mindset of what they were trying to teach us. And then also the effects, either how they may have negatively played that out, not trying to do it negatively, but in a certain way, like it came, maybe came out negative or a positive way, you know? Mm-hmm. But now it's having an effect on us as a, we got older to where we're understanding like where we are now of, you know, we might have not picked up that baggage on, on, on purpose, but subconsciously as a kid, it's like you learn all these different things that later in life you're realizing, man, yeah. I, like I'm now understanding of why am I doing X, Y, and Z, you know? Because um, as a kid, we're in the moment, we're just... We're just doing it. You're just like, living. Yeah. yeah, you're just living. So when your parents tell you, like, don't do this, don't do that, you're just, okay, cool. Like, you're just going about it. Um, and you're understanding in the moment of, like, what they're telling you or, you know, whoever, you know, teacher or whatever the case may be, you're in that moment of understanding what, what's going on. But then later on in life, you're realizing, like, I picked up a bunch of just unnecessary things along the way mm-hmm. that now I'm realizing that I have carried along this way, you know, and that I'm like now on, on really unbottling and kind of um, just kind of getting it out to a point where now I'm realizing where I am, you know? So um, now I resonate with that truly. I think it, it oftentimes, you know, I think as men too, like it plays a lot in, um, in our job world. I don't know. I want to get your thoughts on that. I feel like a lot of times like our insecurities kind of, sort of drift us in as we sort of learn it's like what we don't want mm-hmm. and then it's like again like you know we get into that place where we either have jobs where it's like i don't want to be poor i don't want to be broke so yeah. i have a job that's going to provide me with enough money to do x y and z or i want to have the nicest car so people think the best you know what i mean all those different things it's like um so yeah well i guess i'll give a quick discussion question um uh, i'll give a quick discussion question to that with the jobs thing, do you know how, like, in a movie or something, when somebody's about to die, they find out they got cancer, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll change, right? They'll, stereotypically, it's like, now all of a sudden, they'll have to think about, well, what, what really matters? You know, if they were feuding with a family member, it's, oh, my gosh, you need to make peace with that. If they've just amassed a bunch of stuff, man, I'm transitioning, I'm dying, I'm going to give everything away, right? And... Uh, death, de- death definitely has a thing of kind of slapping us in the face, splashing cold water on our face. Like, hey, <laughs> wake up. What matters, you know? Yeah. So I guess I'll pose this as a discussion question to you guys. If as a child, when you had just come into the world, you hadn't picked up all this baggage, right? And then let's assume in 20 years, 40 years, you're presuming you're on your way out because you're older. On your way out, would you still hold on to certain insecurities like, Job security, money, things like that. Like literally, and then, but think about y'all's actual insecurities, whatever they may be. Would your actual insecurities matter if you were retired, knowing you're in the last twenty years of your life? You know, what would matter to you guys at that point? That you're like, 
you almost can't even believe you're like, oh yeah, I wouldn't care about that anymore. Yeah. I think for me, what would matter the most would probably be my family. Like outside mm -hmm. of that, that would probably matter. Like I wouldn't be thinking about, you know, oh, I look like this back in yeah. there or I look like this now, you know? I would be thinking about like the impact that I had. What was my impact on my family? What was my impact on my friends? What was the impact on the people around me? Um, so I would probably say family and, 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 and closely to like the impact that I had on everyone around me that, you know, mm -hmm. I would be much more thinking about that versus like, oh, I didn't, I wasn't a six figure earner right. or like, or mm -hmm. I didn't have the nicest car. I didn't have the nicest house or I, I, I wasn't in the best shape of my life, you know, like it's at the end of the day, you know, I, I want to, as a believer, it's like, I want to be like, man, I ran my race and mm -hmm. I ran it to completion. Like I want the Lord to look at me and be like, well done, my good and faithful servant. Like, yeah. yeah, you, you, you made an impact on the people around me for my name, you know? Right. Um, and so like, I think for me, it's like forgetting that the things around me are, are very temporary and not storing my, like the scripture talks about, like not storing up my treasures mm -hmm. on earth where moss and rust can, can, you know? Yeah. Can corrupt it, but storing my treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, you know? And so it's like, my insecurities can oftentimes trick me into like trying to store up my treasures on, on earth and like, mm -hmm. and making it, making the, the big impact on, on what I, what like, what my reach is carnally you know what my reach is in the terms of like monetary uh fame all these different things that you can trick yourself into thinking that like brings you that peace that you're looking for you know or brings you that sort of fulfillment of you not being insecure about what you didn't might have not had or what you might have not had growing up all those things like that so yeah um but yeah I, in closing i would say like I would have to focus on my family and that, that impact from a from a from a relational standpoint. Mine's the same thing. I think that as I've and this is really a miracle. I, I mean, I, I don't say it lightly that my focus day to day has become a lot more relational than it has been historically for me. You know, I'm, by nature, I'm a really kind of one track minded kind of guy mission driven i have the things i have my projects i've got stuff to do mm. and those things often take priority over relationships that i have you know, in any form relationships you know but as i've spent more time i mean i've noticed this change occur in me over the last like 10 years specifically as I first started to deal with chronic illness mm -hmm. in college, dropped out as I started to work through addiction recovery and started learning principles and understanding the value of community and how critical that's been for my growth and healing and realizing just how critical relationships are over anything else. You know, it's this stuff. It, it's, you know, we're looking to, you, you, use, you spoke language that was like filling a hole kind of thing, like giving that peace temporarily. We're reaching for things mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. to fill, right? To satisfy. To satisfy, yeah. And um, it's, if, it's never the things. <laughs> like there's not a thing. There, mm -hmm. When it comes to the ultimate fulfillment, I think at least from a scriptural standpoint, like 
I think about this. Um, Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is in the garden as he's praying right before he's uh, crucified. He's talking to God and he said, talking about um, his disciples. And he says um, that they have eternal life Mm. and eternal life is knowing you, knowing the father. So it's a definition for eternal life. And that word for knowing is the same word used throughout the Bible, specifically back in Genesis when Adam and knew Eve, right? So very, very strong language to conjure up an image of like, intimate encounter of companionship right Mm -hmm. really so that's what that's what this is about you know this eternal life aspect like you said i mean when you're talking about running the race and then coming before christ and being told well done it's a relational aspect of i i see you i approve of what you've done i appreciate how you've served me and you're developing that closeness with him in that way but at the end of the day, it's it is always seemingly about that relational aspect, what, right. you know, what love is, right? Yeah. So and and I'm just gonna this is gonna sound deep and I'm not gonna just say the quote. I'm just gonna kinda ask you guys or kinda just say it, but when you're drowning, what are you thinking about? Mm. You know what I'm saying? So like when someone's drowning, <laughs> thinking about man, I'm gonna get this Lexus tomorrow. Am I am I gonna go date this girl? Am I gonna you know like those things aren't relevant. They just want to breathe, breathe yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And yeah. so it's kind of like um, that kind of same kind of like metaphor. It's like man, when it gets to the end, am I worried about all these things? Like what's really important? And like I mean, I think sometimes it is just easy to say family, but some people be like bro, I just like the peace, like you know having that friend to you know go hang out with coffee um being able to just like go on walks you know and just i guess i'm just saying just opening up that horizon where it's it's not always just family like that is important but then if you're not healthy how can that flow into the family so um but that analogy was just kind of cool um and i got it from uh this this hip-hop preacher eric thompson but you know he said he always talks about success and how bad you want it but even just in this aspect, like when you're, and it could just be like, when you're deep in depression, you're not thinking about, you know, this, yeah. this, that. When you're deep in the anxiety, you're not thinking about X, Y, and Z. And it can kind of be using different scenarios, but I think that's when you really find out what you love and what you really care about. Right. Um, when you just kind of, I don't know how they, how they make diamonds when it's pressed. Or, Pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pressure. So, you know, you really find out, okay, this is what I really am and this is not, this is really not me. Yeah. And I think sometimes we fall into the trap of like, yeah. um, I mean, Lecrae using one of his songs, Faking, but yeah, just faking like, okay, I'm going to be this because this is what maybe the world or maybe that cute girl or, you know, yeah. maybe it's the guy that's like, they like that. So, um, but I mean, and I, I guess uh, you see it even in movies or even in music where it's like, Maybe more so in, in movies because it's a storyline, but you see it at the point where it's like the T in the road. Wait, this is not me. And, you know, that guy goes back to the girl and he's just like, hey, this is where I messed, you know, mm-hmm. messed up at. And he finds out what he really, really wants. And so. For um, me, I think about uh, Troy Bowden, <laughs> High School Musical 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he was so, like, this ain't me. 
I should not be hanging out with Sharpay Evans, bro. I love my girl. <laughs> So, so yeah, that that definitely. I mean, and that's that's like I said, that's the thing. And so, I think it's hard for us in nowadays because we have so many distractions, so many like um, substitutes, right? Like, it's just, I mean, everything up and everything's at a palm of our hands. So, there's no like, I don't have to be Demarcus Grant. I can be whomever because I can perceive a, a different way. So. Um, I guess when it does come down to the end, it's like, man, what really makes me happy? Yeah. And I've I've even just like to get nerdy, like wonder the psychological part, like when you put somebody in a room and you you have a load of cash and then you have something else, like how the brain waves, how does that really attract? Because we all say we want money, but it, do we really yeah. want money? Because mm-hmm. most of the time, the money is like something else that really makes us happy, but right. the money is the access to it. Mm, right. So, but yeah, I'll be curious to kind of see that. I mean, I'm just probably just rambling, but like, as y'all was talking, I was like, man, that's, you know, that's deep. And even just what you and uh, Danny and, and E, what y'all said earlier, I think that's where you get to a point where you really kind of have to re-meet people. And it sounds so crazy, but from going from baby to a teenager, not the same. <laughs> You're a teenager, some happened, teenager to like young adult. Like, it's totally different, you know? Like, those friends that you had, you got to go, hey, you got to reread me, man. I've been through some stuff. Like, mm. I'm not the same DeMarcus anymore, or the same, you know? Because those experiences have kind of, like, changed, not necessarily you, but just, like, how you carry yourself or whatever. And those little things could just change. So, I don't know. I, that is a big thing because, you know, like I, I met a friend, like, five years. I haven't seen, same, seen him in, like, 10 to five years. And I was just trying to catch up. And I was like, wait, you know, you got to re-meet me because I'm not the same person that we work with. So what y'all was talking about earlier, it's like those things, you kind of have to like take the time out and just kind of reintroduce yourself because jumping back in, it's like, no, I had some, you know, chronic illness. I can't, you know, X, Y, and Z. Or, Mm. man, some family stuff happened. I can't do this or... I mean, even with divorce, like, man, it's just like, oh, that's the same. Yeah, he's the same guy. Like, man, something changed. Mm-hmm. And it may not be, you know, super, super big or super obvious. Um, but, you know, you always, I always wonder what people are going through that's not talking. You know, it's like yeah. people watching. It's like, man, let me just watch these people and see what's really going on versus, like, talking to them. So, I don't know. That was loaded for me, but. That's what I was cooking up over here was <laughs> was like that. But I mean, yeah. and I think I think every day we should wake up like, hey, if I'm drowning, what do I, what do I care about? And maybe that's yeah. just like the start because, I mean, I know me, I just instantly go to the phone, like mm-hmm. scrolling something. It's like, man, is that really me or am I just so? I like, I like that um, analogy a lot since physically when you're drowning, especially once you get underwater, you're, you're just trying to breathe, right? Yeah. So metaphorically speaking, um, if you are in that metaphorical drowning moment, the thing that you instantly worry about, it shows you your priorities. Oh, that's the thing that yeah. for you is breath, right? So like if someone busted in the room right now and was like, guys, it's all gone. To all of us, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm. We might be like, what What are you talking about? Everything. It's all, what do you, you what know, you we want to know specifically. Yeah. Like, who, somebody die? Like what, you know, money, what, the thing you care about the most, it's all gone. There's four of us here in a room. That could mean very different things yeah. for yeah. all four of us, you know, and, and 
since we started with insecurities, I would hope nobody's thinking I'm losing everything. How's my makeup? How's my hair? How's my haircut? You know, what am I wearing? You know, like, is that what breath is for you? You know, for most people, it'll probably be bank account or this or that. But and anyways, we, we ended up talking about relational, about love, right? So yeah. I would hope, at least for all of us, um, it's in a moment like that, one of the first things that hopefully comes to mind is loved ones. Is my family okay? It, you know, is my mm-hmm. support system okay? Um, if you're doing meaningful work, in your life, whether that's feeding people, that's volunteering, that's some writing project, something that's a legacy project for you, that might be the, the first thing that comes to mind. Like, oh my gosh, is that okay? You know. So I think there's a lot of good things that could come to mind if you're if you're faced with that question. And there's a lot of things that could come to mind. It's like, wow, like that's what it is for me. That's what breathing really is yeah. for me. You know. So we started the conversation talking about um, insecurities stemming from like early childhood, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But when I think about the stage in life in which insecurity is kind of like at the forefront or like the paragon of insecurity, <laughs> I think of mm-hmm. middle school. <laughs> Bro, I'm right there with you. Bro. And I was wondering yeah. what comes to mind for y'all um, oh, when mean, it comes silly, to Silly stuff. Middle I had school. A big nose, I was a kid from Africa, like all kinds of just little stuff <laughs> yeah, that yeah, kids yeah. make fun of you about, you know. For, yeah. so, yeah. for me, uh Huge in middle school. Um, I don't know. I know we talked about uh, nakedness last time. Yeah. Uh, so I just had a question. Anybody know what like PSI is? PSI. PSI. I just know the mechanical term. Yeah, the air. Uh, pounds the per air square in my inch. Tie, yeah. yeah. So like, yeah. I know we're PG thirteen, but for me it was uh, my PP size insecurity. Oh. Who's this clown? Uh, so like, and and for me, like, I'll I'll explain that. For example, like, uh, I know for guys, when we would go in locker rooms and you would get undressed in front of all the guys, like for me, I was always afraid of getting undressed and then everybody looking at me and being like, oh my God, like he has a small pee pee. (laughs) 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 Like, cause I mean, guys would, guys would do that sometimes, you know, like, like they would rag on you, you know what I mean? And so for me, like they would rag on you for anything really. Um, and so for me, it was like, I was always like, bro, like, I ain't trying to be like undressing in front of no dude for them yeah. to like, you know, anyways, like as, as, as adolescent as you were, like you were always insecure about, am I going through puberty? Have I like, have I reached a point where like I'm growing and I'm starting to grow, you know? Um, and I'll also like on a, on a more like serious note for me, uh, another insecurity was like my, um, my facial features. So, uh, I had shingles, uh, as a, as a baby, if anybody doesn't know what shingles are, it's, uh, the opposite of the chicken pox. So I never had the chicken pox ever in my life. Um, what happened was when my, um, brothers had the chicken pox when my mom was pregnant with me. And so I basically, you know, developed the immunity to it. Um, and so then when my middle brother got the chicken pox when I was born, because I had built up the immunity due to my older brother, um, it sort of created an adverse effect to me. Um, and so shingles came and that, that normally happens for older people, like, you know, in your sixties, right? <laughs> not yeah. a, not a two month old baby. Um, and so it, and it normally happens on your back, but for me, it happened on my face. Um, and so my whole face was like filled with like blisters and all these different things. Um, wow. and so I like, you know, I think six or seven months my mom has a double like I'm, i might have to double check on the age for my mom but 
Um, but in that critical age, I had to get, uh, I had to get plastic surgery. Um, and they had to do like some intensive, like surgery on my face to kind of, uh, reduce the scars to what you see now, which is very minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, so, um, in that, uh, growing up as, you know, as all kids do, uh, we start to, you know, joke and sort of, you know, rag on each other. And I don't know, what's the word jive? Like, you know, roast. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so when kids would like roast me, uh, they would like roast me on my, on my scars. And so I had this one kind of bigger scar in the middle of my nose. Um, and, uh, if anybody's familiar with the, the brand Polo, Ralph Lauren, mm-hmm. so you know you have the you have the Polo emblem like on the on your chest, and so they would always be like, "Hey, bro, got the Polo emblem on his nose," wow. and wow. like <laughs> they'd be like, "Yo, yo, he's sponsored by Ralph Lauren, dog." Like, and and yeah. it used to like it used to eat me alive. Like I'd be like, "Dang, bro!" Like, and it was something I couldn't get rid of. Like it would always be on my face, you know. Yeah. And so like, and that was like a joke that they knew that could like cripple me. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost creeping me to the point where I like I'm not ragging on anybody who's gotten like cosmetic surgery like for any you know any right. reason or anything like that um, but it, it got to the point for me where I was like seriously thinking about it um, and I think I remember I was 13 and I went to my mom and I was like mom it's time like I want to like I want to get rid of these scars like I, it's over with like people are calling me like like polka dot and like like you know all these different sort of like just for me like just kind of felt sort of hard for me to like go through and i was like i just i want to be normal i want to be like everybody else you know Mm. i want to fade into the background as they say um and so uh my mom was like it makes you unique like it's not even that you know it's not even that big but i was like mom you don't understand like they just continue to rag on me so um as i you know went for my mom's like okay like we're gonna go talk to a you know consult a doctor and, and see like what the what the process is and so i'm 13 and the guy comes to me he was like you know to be honest like if you get this surgery like it's gonna be the same as if you like grow up because your face is so elastic right now at 13 like you're gonna mm. your face is gonna grow and it's gonna stretch and the scars that you have right now as though they're big on your face are gonna start to become minimal because your face is gonna Right. start to grow and all these different things things that i didn't even realize i was like your face grows what <laughs> uh you know what i mean like and i mean obviously it does but in my mind i'm like damn yeah. that happens like right uh, and so going through that process and but he's like if you want to do this like this is how much it's going to cost and it was going to cost me like uh around twenty five thousand dollars to oh, yeah. to get it with like uh, and he was able to, he was going to say he was going to be able to like knock off like 10,000 or something like that, just because of depending on how intense I wanted the surgery. But like the, like it could be as high as 25,000 or as low as like 10, 15, uh, grand. And I remember looking at my mom and my mom looked at me and was like, you want to do it? We'll, we'll do it. You know? But like, it was almost looking at me like this won't matter. You know, like you are putting all your stake into how your friends are, are viewing you and how they see you and how you're, they're, you're getting made fun of. But like at the end of the day, when you grow up, like this is going to be who you are. This is going to be like your uniqueness about yourself. Like the fact that you have scars on your face, like, you know what I mean? Like I still consider myself a handsome guy just because I have like, even if I have scars on my face, like it doesn't 
reduce the fact that I, I don't think that I look good. You know what I mean? And that's what my mom was telling me. She's like, it's not going to reduce the fact of anything else. You know, they're just going to find something else to rag on you about. You know what I mean? Whether it be like your style of clothing or whatever the case may be. So it's like, trust me. And so I was like, you're right. Like, <laughs> and, I, and I was like, I'm not trying to make my parents pay $25,000. Uh, trust me, they were, they were not going to pay $25,000. Yeah. <laughs> you are going to deal with that scar, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, at the end of it, like, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm able to, to deal with it. You know, I'm able to, to make that sort of uniqueness out, out of it. And, um, and oftentimes, like, I would, like, if somebody would make fun of my scars, I'd be like, I wouldn't tell them the real reason. I'd be like, yo, I got in a knife fight, bro, so chill out. Like, and they'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, really? And I'm like, no. But if I did, like, how do you feel about that now? Like, right. you're making fun of me. And they'd be like, oh, dang, like, I'm sorry. Like, so I used it as, like, an, uh, uh, a way to sort of teach. But I say all that to say, um, for me at least, as, as, as in middle school, like, it was always tough to be in those locker room mm-hmm. type vibes. Um just because I was always insecure, just like my physical attribute, like my physical, my physicality, things like that, like being too small or, you know, having the PSI type deal, like, you know what I mean? Like thinking like, when am I going to hit puberty? When is things going to start growing? Um, and so I always be the one that was like changing in the stall, like mm-hmm. in the bathroom stall, mm-hmm. uh, never taking showers, spraying myself with Axe religiously. <laughs> so I was in, sorry to all my teachers who <laughs> smelled. <laughs> Wolf thorn all day long. Football and gym all the way through middle school and then a little bit in high school. Uh-huh. And we had showers like, you know, in, yeah. in our locker room. I never saw those showers in use one <laughs> time. Yeah. <laughs> boys were just stinking. Yeah. yeah. Middle school boys. We were just, we were just well, because I don't back. think any of us wanted to, you know, yeah. strip yeah, just down be for exp- each other. Yeah, and be exposed. Right. Be exposed. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, everybody feels like they look funny. But the funny thing is if everybody got naked, everybody would have some kind of, even if it's a small one, some kind of, quote-unquote deformity because yeah. i guess if you speak about literal nakedness we're probably thinking about like magazines or unfortunately think about pornography or like things that have been advertised to us as the perfect body mm-hmm. yeah when it's not that everybody's deformed uh but i wanted to comment on your story real quick jordan and say um we should definitely have a future episode just about uh the whole the kids sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt mm-hmm. it's the power of words right because yeah. that's what that's yeah. what you ultimately carry with you because even if you had got rid of the scar on your nose and I mentioned to you guys before we recorded, I have a ton of scars on my body. But even if I got rid of them, I think what would happen is, um, like in prosthetics, when someone's like lost their arm in battle or something, mm-hmm. in in the war, and they get the prosthetics. Well, before they get the prosthetics, they're just missing a limb. They mentioned that for a while you have a phantom limb yeah. where you think that thing is there, but it's actually not. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with scars, even as you grow out of them, or you get surgery, you fix them, it would be the same thing. You would still have a phantom of scars yeah. the hurt you'd still have a phantom of all the negative things that have been said about you mm-hmm. you know that it, which is where you realize oh it's not actually the scars it's the psychological damage yeah. that's been done as a result of the scars mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah i mean i i struggled with uh physical insecurities a lot um in middle school too i didn't have the same experience as you with facial scars but um you know, you catch me in the bathroom, you know, measuring PSI. <laughs> I feel or, like all guys do. If they or, tell you that they didn't yeah, do that, exactly. they are liars. If a guy ever says, bro, I never did that. I never measured, you know, uh, my, uh, my, my, my junk. I'd be like, bro, stop lying. Like, yeah. <laughs> everybody know they were taking out rulers. Yeah. And, 
But what I think what really hit me bad um, was it was after high school, like I mentioned, when I started struggling with chronic illness, I one of the symptoms I experienced was gaining a lot of weight really quickly mm. and not being able to get it off. So I was at some point, you know, mostly through high school, early college, I weighed anywhere between like 160, 170. Mm. And then, you know, a year or two later, woke up and got on the scale and realized I'm, I'm like, 250 260 gained almost 100 pounds in in a year or two years and yeah. what happened when i gained all that weight so quickly is i have still to this day like in every corner of my body stretch marks mm. you know um and they've dissipated a lot over time but um i was just you know surprised by um how striped my body became you know yeah um and the stripes themselves weren't like particularly unappealing to me, but it was just a re constant reminder that I'm fat, like, and I've gotten super fat. And, uh, and you mentioned porn earlier, porn did not help, you know, because we talk about, you know, with porn, we talk about women's bodies from a male standpoint, but, but there's also this depiction of the perfect, you know, Adonis male body yeah, that alpha. I never matched up to and still yeah. don't get that, close that to. That Michael B. Jordan body. Everybody. Yeah. So um, I think what, it, interestingly enough for me, what started to to m minimize those insecurities was when I, real, when I started to get into uh, romantic relationships where I felt uh, loved, you know, mm -hmm. and appreciated. Um, those kind of physical insecurities dissipated a lot through the relational aspect that we talked about consistently. You know, it's like having, and you didn't mention this explicitly, E, but what you're talking about at the beginning of the episode reminded me a lot of attachment styles, which we've talked oh, about yeah. recently, you know, in our personal conversations. So how much security we get from safe relationships loving relationships healthy relationships can do to to address those latent insecurities that we right. develop but another thing i think about is and this is just a number i'm throwing out there it's but like it feels like for every one thing one distressing experience that births insecurities it takes about like 13 good experiences to mm. start to yeah. wither that away yeah. you know yeah. there are false beliefs that we develop from those moments that take a lot more to maybe it has the, it's the same idea of like it's it's a lot simpler to destroy something than it is to build something mm. like it takes a day to demolish a building it takes months to have built that building in the first place or right. to rebuild it you know but months to even just plan it yeah exactly <laughs> or even lay the foundation it just takes a yeah. giant ball and a little bit of force to to knock, to, that to knock something down yeah. and yeah. you know months of planning lots of resources money a team of people to mm -hmm. and months of time to rebuild something so yeah that's why you gotta check that foundation scripture says where's your foundation built on you know so yeah because you know when when things sort of coming to blow it over, it's like, are you able to withstand those winds? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, and oftentimes, like, that's why, I, you know, I have to do a self-check on myself even now. Um, 
because it's like when those wins come and things like that, I have to check. It's like, is my foundation built on, you know, how everybody else in the world perceives me or how does, or is my foundation built on how God perceives me, you know? Yeah. Am I secure in my identity? Am I security in Christ or am I secure in my identity of how the world sees me? Because how the world sees me is a very rat race, different type, mm-hmm. you know? And how God sees me isn't that, you know? He sees me perfect the way I am, so. Um, but I'm not saying that like that. I don't want to get it confused that sometimes for me, like I still fall into that, that trap you know? yeah. that I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I think I, I oftentimes sin and think worldly, you know, it's not a one and done thing. So yeah, it's ever. not a one and done thing ever. It's and a constant reevaluation to I have to renew my get mind. back on track. Yeah. You know? Daily. Like, cause when I fall off, I fall off and I fall off hard. <laughs> Amen, man. Yeah, I think for me, man, middle school was was interesting because, like, and I'm not really sure about, about like, age-wise, like, you know how you are with the birthday and you get in school later or whatever, but I was just kind of just kind of bigger than everybody else. Like, not super, super big, but, mm. like, even, like, basketball, like, they just didn't have long, long enough shorts for me, so I felt like I was playing in the 70s, like, <laughs> just, just, just straight. Did you have, good, did you have one of those helmets that, like, they were like, dog, we got to get you an adult helmet? No, no, no. I mean, it was just basketball. Like, basketball just didn't have, like, long enough shorts for me. But um, so that was just always just crazy. Um, and just, you know, just dealing with, like, middle school stuff. But I think the biggest thing that really just, like, not my uh, insecurities that I never really just, like, and now I look at it, I'm like, wow, that's the root, you know? Um, but, man, like, relationships. And, like, no one really considers, like, middle school relationships as, like, oh, that counts, you know? Um, but, man, like, I always, like, I remember, I'm, I shouldn't say her name, but there was this girl, I, I really did like her. And one of my friends, his name was Aaron. I'll just say his, you know, his first name. But he was like, bro, like, she's not that cute. So I was like, all right. <laughs> Like I'll just go, you know, I'll just go break up with her. Um, wow. And I, I, I really did <laughs> Dang, like bro. her. Like we played <laughs> bas- we played basketball <laughs> together. And, like she was, she was pretty decent at basketball. Yeah, but it was just like it's just what he said. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, okay, like, okay. like it felt like he he put a flashlight over something that that I cared about, but I didn't want nobody to see. I guess I don't know what it was, but I was like, all right. And so I would date another girl and. And in the same kind of sense, they broke up with me in the same. I mean, I, I wouldn't know it, but it just felt like that. Like two days dating, it's like, okay, wow. But man, I just had that like. Do you out here being serial daters in middle school, boy? Yeah, man. But <laughs> it, I mean, but like I said, I was just bigger than everybody. So I think a lot, I think I just, I don't know if it was like I gravitated people or, you know. So, man, mm-hmm. I was just, like, I, I remember, I, I think I dated like five girls in middle school. Wow. Um, <laughs> And a lot of it was, a lot of it was like what people thought. Mm-hmm. And I was just so insecure about what other people thought. Like if they didn't like what, what, what I like, if I didn't, well, basically if I didn't like add up to what. If you didn't like this favorite movie. Their, their ideal of whatever it was, then I was like, all right, you're right. You know, and just, just straight Godfather, like, all right, you know, leave me alone, you know, and. Like now, now I kind of like looking back on it, and I wonder like, and I always joke about my commitment issues. I'm like, I don't have commitment issues. I just don't like what was in front of me. So it's like, is that commitment issues, or is because I don't <laughs> I don't like it, you know? 
but I, I go back into middle school and I'm just nice, like nice way of putting it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's like I I just didn't like that. I got standards, you know. But you know, now looking back at middle school and just really just like diving in, it's like, bro, like there's some definitely insecurities there and definitely commitment uh issues that you know, just really just stuck out. But man, I don't know what it was about people. And like now I think about it, you know, uh, and this is probably a whole different podcast, but just like single mom, you know, dad kind of like question mark, um, being the oldest. So it was just like a lot of different stuff that probably could have just like um, put in the bottle um, and just stuck in there. And then one day it just came out unbottled and just, Poured out everywhere, you know, and and it's, it's just just a lot to deal with. Um, just to think about it, you know, like I don't think sometimes we learn from our past, in a sense, you know, like a lot of people, oh well, I'm not gonna do that again, but you still find yourself doing it, like, mm-hmm. and so, but yeah, middle school, man, middle school was like, it was rough for me because of those, at least the dating aspect, because. Like after after a while, I was just like single because I was like, man, I don't want to deal with this. Like, I don't want to be a relationship mm. anymore because like I'm pleasing someone else. And like I said, that first girl, I really liked her. Like she was cool um, and all that. But man, I just so I care what Aaron thought, you know. Yeah. And Aaron wasn't even just like that dude, you know. He was just <laughs> you know he was just my friend, but he wasn't like you know big man on campus, you know like. Yeah. It wasn't like that, but like I just really cared about what he thought. And like mm. it I mean, whatever he said, like it res I guess it resonated. resonated with me to just do something radical. Um and that the way I broke it up wasn't wasn't the best. I think I told my brother to go do it or something like that. <laughs> so like, I was even scared to I was even scared to just be in front of her and say it, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I was I was man, I was going through it in middle school, but yeah. And I think I think middle school is that is that it's that time to really if there's ever a time to make mistakes like that's it. Right, middle school to me is like middle school and high school, like is the all like Hunger Games style. Like you're just literally trying to survive, and you're trying to learn yourself, and you don't really know yourself, and you're mm-hmm. going through all these different changes. And then when you get to high school, you're still trying to know yourself, and you're having all these different pressures, and you know your friends are trying to steer you in one direction. And then you're trying to go in a different direction, whether, you know, d- depending on who you are as a person, it's like, you know, and then for, like I said, just to piggyback on this, like high school as well, it's like, I always physicality wise, it's like when my, when I saw my friends like benching 225 mm-hmm. and doing like 15 reps and I'm like six foot four and I can only do like 185, which is my, <laughs> my body weight. I was always like, bro, I'm weak, bro. Like, yeah. I'm trash, like, because it's like, and I started thinking about that, about myself, you know? Um, and it's like, and I was insecure of always trying, I was like, man, I'm never, I'm not going to bench around my friends. Like, I'm just going to, mm-hmm. like, my squat was my best thing. Like, I could squat out of, out of anybody. So I was, like, squatting, like, 400, you know? Mm-hmm. And then when my, when it got time to, to bench, I was like, all right, I'm going to do that later. Like, to where nobody sees it, you know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm not putting up big weight. But in the same regard, it's like, who cares? You know, you're working out just as much as they are, you know? Um, so, no, I would just, I'll say, like, shout out to anybody who's in middle school and high school who might be listening. Like, it's, it's, it's hard, I know, but trust me, you're going to get through it. Um, mm. and the things that, that you go through, there's, there's light in that tunnel, so. 
Yeah. And we're getting pretty close to our time limit for this episode. So um, I'll just want to share, we talked about childhood, we talked about adolescence, you know, puberty time frame, And there was a story that I'd love to share briefly just to kind of cap things off about something that happened to me last week. So, mm. you know, young adult phase in life. But it ties in with what you started with at the beginning, you know, just the... Um, critical aspects of the way that you were parented and how those got introduced early and stuff like that still um, impacting me now, you know, 20 years later. Um, I was I was in therapy and I was talking with uh, my therapist and he started on a, a, a tangent talking about um, his observations having counseled married couples for 30, 40 years and just kind of what he's gleaned from those times, a basic litmus test for when uh, a relationship is on the path toward inevitable failure. I don't remember why he got on that topic and the moment he got on the topic, I was kind of guards up like, Okay, I just got I, I just got out of a relationship where I feel like things failed, it ended, you know, so that's kind of what I'm thinking is he's tying it into that somehow. And he goes on and on, and he's talking about like um the kiss of death for a relationship is whenever one or both parties involved get to a point where they are no longer willing to give anymore. Mm-hmm. They've they're done giving you know, done sacrificing, done giving leeway um, or grace. And so the whole time, like I said, I mean, like I, I'm ready for him to drop a ball at the end of it to, you know, to say, here's why things failed, mm-hmm. you know, in the relationship that you're in, you know. And what he ends up saying is... um so relationships fail when someone wants to, when someone doesn't want to give anymore. And, and you give a lot. Wow. And you have so much to give. It seems endless. Wow. And I remember the very distinctly. <laughs> yeah. I, in like, I, it was like a cartoon moment because I was just like, my head shook because it was the complete opposite. Um, result that I was expecting the whole time. Um, I was prepared for a criticism, an exhortation, a challenge, you know, more breaking down. <laughs> I feel like yeah. broken yeah. down so much, but, and what it was, it was just, he was pouring out, you know, a character attribute of mine that he admired that just floored me. And I, I started crying. I didn't know what to do, you know? And, um, but I, the reason why I felt like that was, relevant to the topic of insecurity was because I have latent insecurities born of the shame that Mm. I have developed, you know, over my life to where I was prepared the whole time to be criticized for something that he was just trying to minister to me, you know, and eventually it got through. But up until that point, it was, I was, I was hurting myself. So it's kind of how I see it. Yeah. Or um, 
I was I was being hurt by something that was not inherently hurtful. He was telling a story, building up to something that was going to bless me, and I was I had the armor on. It's weird. Maybe the armor is not the right word because I, I was hurting the whole time up until that point. Yeah. When I realized what he was really saying. Yeah. I was I was hurting. Inside. Thinking yeah. about his critique. Then mm. there was no critique. There was no critique to be given. It was uplifting. <laughs> there was no critique, yeah. and I was freaking out, and I was you know experiencing distress all the way up into that moment. And I kind of looked back, and I was like, man. I'm not blaming myself, but I kind of look. That's kind of that's a that's a shame that. You know, that minute or five minutes that he was talking, I was hurting when I didn't need to be. Mm. And it just feels kind of wasteful. Yeah. Because I could have been enjoying the story, just waiting to see where he was going to go with it instead of interpreting it with prejudice, so to mm. speak, you know. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, getting, you know, blasted. Like hurting, yeah, hurting yeah. yourself, getting lost in it, and not really hearing the, the whole entire thing. So. Yeah, so it was just my last thought on yeah. insecurities. So yeah, that's good, man. That's deep too. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So that's uh, let's let's outro it. What do we got to say? Well, thanks for hanging out with us. Um, definitely a lot of points in here that we'll have to build on uh, next time. I'm gonna roll out. I'm gonna let you guys do your thing. But before I do, I wanna say thank y'all for having me. I wanna tell everybody to make sure to follow on social media, mainly Instagram and YouTube for now, unbottled underscore pod, P O D. We wanna give a big shout out to Jared Hawkins. Jared Higgins. Jared, Jared Higgins. Higgins. Jared apologies. Higgins. And his brother, Demarcus. Jared yeah. Higgins, who has a brother named Demarcus. Go Demarcus. That's my twin, right? Go Demarcus. There. Same, name, <laughs> same name as our co host, Demarcus. Go Demarcus. Yeah. So I don't botch it, Danny. I'll let you do the QA. Yeah, yeah. So uh, on Spotify, we're um, gonna be posting a QA question. We're gonna figure out what it is uh, at the end of the episode after we record, but. We'd love to hear your thoughts on whatever question we pose, um, what the discussion's like. So you can, um, you can, if you're listening to us on Spotify, there should be an area where you can respond with a text response. Um, or in our show notes, as always, there's uh, a link at the very bottom uh, that allows you to send us a voice message and maybe we'll feature your audio uh, yeah. in a coming episode. We'd love to hear you voice. Uh, so. If you're not following on Spotify, if you're... You know, listen to our other podcasts. We also, like I said, DM us on our socials, and yep. we'd love to, you know, get that feedback as well. So, um, appreciate y'all for listening as well. Yeah, love y'all. Love you guys. Don't be nice. Don't be nice.